Welcome to Jamie's Corner Podcast. This is a show where we talk about veganism, spirituality, animal rights, friends, family, struggles. I don't know. I kind of use this as my own therapy session, you know, just talking things through, really. So let's have some fun. I interview a lot of different activists, yogis, nutritionists. We got some doctors on here, veterinarians. You name it, just a lot of really great people. So thanks for joining me. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. How many animals do you think are in factories right now? There's 8 billion people on the planet. How many animals in factories? Over 70 billion. 80 billion. 10 times more animals in factories than people on earth. Well, now you gotta feed those animals. So that means you better cut down trees, grow crops. These crops have fiber and protein. Are we giving that food to people? No, we're giving that food to animals and they need land and water. And that means all that food that could go to feeding people is feeding animals and animals are awful calorie converters. Business rewards efficiency. That's what business does really well. It takes the problem and it solves it at scale. So that's what we're doing here with the Global Food Supply System. The way we produce meat is going to shift and it will no longer include animals. What the hell is up? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I have the one and only Elizabeth Alfano on today's podcast. She is the CEO of VegTech Invest, and she's going to talk to you guys all about plant-based trends in the stock market. She's going to talk about her own ETF, which is called Eat V, and she just has the most going on. She's got plant-based business hour podcasts, which you guys should all listen to. She does a ton of public speaking, and really, she's going to give you guys great advice. You know, it's one of those things where we live in a world where our systems are set up so that we work these jobs paycheck to paycheck. Meanwhile, you could be investing and you can make a lot of money. And when you have a lot of money, you can give back to the animals, to different plant-based companies. So I am so excited. Elizabeth is a huge inspiration for me. And without further ado, guys, you know the drill. Please like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Go check out elizabethalfano.com. You can find her Instagram, her Twitter, her Facebook, and her YouTube all on there. All right, so let's get into it. Okay, well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. This is so awesome. I was just saying off air, I feel like we know each other because we are in the same circle of people. I've seen you on everything from Unchained TV to major news media sites, and you really are doing great work and bringing veganism mainstream by talking about the trends that are happening with plant-based businesses. So for those people that don't know who you are, give us a little introduction about yourself. Sure thing. So I am the CEO of VegTech Invest, and VegTech Invest is the advisor to the world's only plant-based innovation and climate ETF. So when we say advisor to, that ETF is Eat V. That's the ticker. When we say advisor to, that's kind of like finance speak for. Uh, we created VegTech Invest, this umbrella company, so that we could create a financial product, Eat V, where people could invest in the public markets in our sector 
sector, that means any company at any point in the supply chain. So not just the end consumer packaged goods product that you see in the grocery store, but anywhere along the supply chain in ingredients or in innovation and technology or in ag tech, anywhere that they are innovating to replace animals for an efficient, cruelty-free, and sustainable food supply and material supply system, then they're in that ETF. So think of an ETF as sort of like your grocery cart in the in the store. So, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to put in some rice and beans, and I'm going to put in a Beyond Meat burger, and I'm going to get some Oatly, and I'm going to um, put in some avocados and lemons and vegetables, and I've got some pasta, and then you go to the checkout counter, and you've got this basket of your theme of living, let's say. So that's exactly what an ETF is. It's a big basket filled with the stuff that you want for the way that you live your life. And what's so cool about it is not just that you get to invest alongside your values, which is so meaningful to all of us, but also that you get to partake in its growth. So when we go to Unchained TV and we get to hear about all the cool news, like this company raised this amount of money and this company raised this amount of money, those are all really super duper wealthy individuals who are making a couple big plays to back those companies. Most people can't make lay down that kind of cash, you know? So what about the person who has $1,000 or $50 or $10,000 or $20,000 but doesn't have 100 thousand dollars what about that person because that person usually is in their 20s they're the ones growing the market they're the ones buying the burgers they're the ones going through the kfc drive-through to get those beyond meat nuggets i mean i'm not doing that you know that's like the young person who's going to you know um pizza hut and getting beyond meat um, pepperoni pizza or whatever and it's not just beyond meat obviously there's others so that young person who doesn't have a gazillion dollars they can be investing with and supporting the sector, but also growing with uh, the sector. So that's what's really exciting about it. I mean, you're speaking of me. Like, I, this is all very new to me. And in this podcast today, I really want to break down what investing is and why it's so important. You know, you have people that are working for $20 an hour, living paycheck to paycheck, totally. unable to put much money away. So we're going to talk about how this can be really for anybody and how you can make money from supporting your values and not just investing in big major funds that God knows where that money really is going to and what companies they're going to. So there's a few platforms people can invest. I personally, I have Vanguard. Oh yeah, so easy. Vanguard's great. I have Robinhood, but I feel like I've lost so much money from this. Like, do not take my advice um, <laughs> on this at all. I don't know what happened. I think it was just also a tough year an awful year for yeah. a lot of people <laughs> but that's in a way a buying experience because everything is so low now yes exactly exactly so how did you even get into investing and also how did you get into veganism let's really take it mm. back before we start getting into like the nitty-gritty of investments okay because i don't want to leave people hanging because there's a lot more to be said just to give people the yep. guardrails so they don't go like off the reservation and i want the person who is living paycheck to paycheck to understand the implications of investing how to do it prudently and you know judiciously so so we will circle back to that but rolling it back to how it all began. Mm -hmm. uh, I have one of those really uh, interesting stories, I think. My earliest memory as a kid, like my first memory of life, period, is that I couldn't chew meat. I couldn't swallow it. I couldn't I couldn't chew it. I mean, I was so repulsed. And my folks who love me and I love them back, 
They were, of course, panicked. Our kid's going to die. She's not eating protein. She's not getting meat. Oh, my God. And I wasn't faking. You know, I was too young to fake. I was just, like, gagging at the table and overreacting like kids do, you know. And my, my parents were like, we're not putting up with this bad behavior. You eat that meat or you're not leaving the table. And they would leave and go watch TV and everyone in the family would be laughing and having a good time in the living room. And I'd be by myself at the table hours on end because I couldn't fake it. You know, I couldn't do it. Then I realized I'm never going to get up from this table if I don't finish my meat. So I started hiding it like underneath the radiator and underneath the leg of the table and in my pants pocket. Then, of course, I'm so young, you know, I'm not thinking like they're going to figure it out. So then, (laughs) you know, I got caught for lying and then they really punished me. Then they sent me to my room and I wasn't, you know, I was grounded and I wasn't allowed to participate again in like family activities. So fast forward, my memory as a kid is that you have to eat meat. It is a rule. There's no way around it. That's how it's going to go. So now, you know, fast forward, I'm in my 20s, maybe early 30s. I have my voice. I'm an adult. I know what's going on. I also know about factory farming now. Um, And I'm thinking like, why are we all doing this? Why are we all eating this? And I would start to say like, hey, do we really need pepperoni on the pizza? I didn't know anything about dairy at that point. And you know, for lack of a better expression, I think we would call it bullying today. People were like, oh, you're a tree hugger. You know, why can't you just have pepperoni like the rest of us? And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, this is what it means to be an adult. Mm-hmm. We do that which we know is wrong and we do it anyway. And you just buck up and that's what it means to be an adult. And I was like, I don't even know how to talk to these people. They're making fun of me because I'm not participating in generally acknowledged criminal behavior unless it's in a, the four walls of a slaughterhouse, then it's somehow okay. But otherwise, it's criminal behavior. So I was like, how do I communicate this? And how do I then fast forward? I'm way into my 40s now at this point. Look how long I've, I had to go before I could speak up for animals. Way into my 40s. My nephew comes back from college, his first year at university. He's playing Division I football team. He's not a football player. He's a mascot. He's playing on the Division I football team of University of Oregon. He comes back for Thanksgiving break. He sits down at the table and he's like, coach says, if I'm going to play for the team, no meat, no dairy. And I was like, what the flip? You got a professional to give you permission. I'd been waiting for some kind of authority figure, professional parent, somebody to give me permission to do what I knew was wrong all the way from five. And I was vegan mid-sentence and I vowed I would never not use my voice for animals again. Wow. And so is your nephew still vegan to this day? He's kind of worked in fish. He no longer is a mascot in college, you know, Uh but he does um, have fish now from time to time. And it's something that woke you up and got you thinking. Well, I had known it all along. I was looking for that stamp of approval because Mm -hmm. of my childhood experience. And then when I saw that stamp of approval was something as like, big deal as division one football at the university of oregon then i was mad because i was like i knew it and i denied my own voice and i denied my voice for animals and i'll never do that again let people kind of bully me into like yeah you just be Mm -hmm. quiet you're a tree hugger 
I will it's so never interesting. Let that again. It's very interesting that you made the connection with the animals then from that. Because yes, you got the stamp of approval that okay, I can eat plant based and be healthy and look at this, a football team is doing it right, to yeah. be healthy and to be able to perform better. But then you were able to then connect the fact that billions of animals are suffering on factory farms. This is not something we should be contributing to. Talk a little bit about that. Well, so I knew that in my twenties, like because it stayed with me this like I don't I still can't really chew the meat. I still don't really want to eat it. But I just felt like societally, that's what we all do because that's what I'd kind of learned as a kid. So then in my 20s and 30s, I, I delved more into it and I found out about factory farms. And then I was like, well, no wonder mm -hmm. I can't eat this stuff. But there was still that societal pressure like, no, we all do it and you should do it. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't find my voice as a way to like defend the topic, defend myself, of, of course, defend animals, but also defend myself. Like, why do I want to participate in this kind of bad behavior? I don't. And I just couldn't find the way to stand up for myself. And then I saw my nephew take that power from the coach. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm here. I got it now. I know what to do. That's amazing. And so you graduated Northwestern University with a degree in global management. Yeah, yeah. So I went um, undergraduate Northwestern, which I loved. Um, and it was uh, economics and French, actually. And then I went to graduate school and focused on really business, global business, global management. I, I had grown up in Paris, so um, I'd already lived abroad and I'd had some experiences in Latin America already with business. So I really wanted to focus on that international aspect of my business skills. So I, I went to graduate school for that. And when I got out of graduate school, I worked for the Kellogg Company and I had Special K and Frosted Mini Wheats. Those were my brands. Wow. Okay. So fun. guys, listen, you're, you're, you're hearing this from a professional. Okay. So now when we give you, <laughs> when we give you business advice, okay, you know, you can take it. So how did you then tie the experiences working for these big fortune companies to what you do now? Yeah. So I realized my personality, which, um, is sort of independent, free spirit, creative thinker was never really going to fly in a Fortune 500 company. So I left Kellogg, which I did love. It was a fun job, but there's just too much structure around the big corporations. So I left that and I started my own business and I had that business for 10 years and it was pretty successful. And so when I exited that business, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're working 24-7 weekends. When you exit and you've got all this time, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. So I started doing investing for a small family office and even with investing, I was doing that three, four hours a day, doing the due diligence on the companies. And and I thought, well, this is almost crazy. It feels like vacation every day. So I took up the hobby of journalism because I'd always loved public speaking. It comes to me naturally. And so I had, along with this, investing for a small family office, helping them with their finances while I was sort of in between jobs because I had um, exited my, my startup company. Uh, I took up journalism and I started doing radio and television in Chicago, just as like a hobby. It just kind of came together. And then right around that time, I went plant-based and I thought, I am never not going to utilize my skills for something that I can see is such a silver bullet for the world. I mean, addresses animal welfare, addresses human health, addresses human health care costs, envi environmental damage, deforestation, land, water use, pandemic risk, um, just transition to food. You know, you could just go on and on. So I thought, oh, my God, I don't have that many years left on the planet. 
this is going to help me do the most good I can do in the shortest amount of time. Not only go plant-based, which I always wanted to do personally, but take my business skills and my journalism skills and apply them to this sector to make the most difference. It is amazing how when you make the connection and when you become super passionate about using your voice for whatever cause it is, you find a way to tie in your personal and professional life with the uh, with your advocacy life. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because I studied journalism and media in college and I went vegan when I was 18 and I'm 24 now. Mm-hmm. And I just remember all my projects in college became about, okay, how can I <sighs> do this and make it somehow about the animals? I was a minor in psychology and I just remember doing my cognitive dissonance paper about how people, you know, are so disconnected from the fact that they're actually eating an animal, (laughs) you know, or with the dairy industry and the egg industry. And so I even started a pod, this podcast was started in college because I wanted to tie in advocacy work with, with my schoolwork. And then I just continued it. So it's amazing how then you were able to be like, you know what, I'm going to use my voice to further this movement, and you have been doing that. So talk a little bit about how you started your veg tech business and your consulting business. Uh, I want to get into then how you transformed to now create what you have going on now. Yeah, so it was a really fun transition. So once I went plan-based and I realized like, okay, any skill set that I have in business or journalism, I'm going to use it for this uh, sector. I did kind of lowest hanging fruit. So I first started with the podcast, the plant-based business hour, because I could talk about business and I now had this journalism experience and I didn't know if I was going to look for a job or work with other companies. I didn't know what to do, but I thought podcast is easy. Let's do it right from my living room. Well, that podcast got so much momentum. It just picked up so much traction that companies started calling me and said, please, will you be a consultant for my company? You've got so much business experience and you're working in the sector. You can see where the white spaces are in plant-based and help our company get in the market and where can we add value and what can we do that's different? How can we differentiate ourselves and how can we you know, do more for consumers? So the consulting work just came to me and it just started like piling in. So I still do that kind of work today as I work for large multinational corporations and helping them find the white space and I inform their C-suite like CFO and CEO um, and chief innovation officers about the trends and what they can expect to see in the marketplace and when and when they can expect to get a return on their investment, et cetera. Is this mostly food? Yes. Okay. Well, food or food systems, so like even machinery, machine manufacturers who work in the food industry, anywhere in the supply chain. So in doing all this work for others, looking for the white spaces where they could make an impact, I was still on the side helping this family office. And I kept thinking, well, I want to put them in investments in the public markets because it's so much less risky than venture. We were talking about venture capital requiring those big checks from really wealthy individuals, not a lot of diversification. You know, it's you're putting all your um, poker chips in one basket. You know, <laughs> <Good> so <catch. laughs> you're, <laughs> you're um, just not diversifying. So if anything goes wrong with that one basket, my gosh, you're, you know, out of luck. 
And you don't want that. You want to have many baskets. You want to really just diversify, have many baskets, many options. So I thought, I don't want to put this family office in venture. I want them to be able to, you know, go to their Robinhood or go to their Fidelity Vanguard Schwab account and buy things on the public market. So the public markets are going to be diversified. If you have an ETF, an exchange traded fund, which we do, and I'll explain that in a second, it's going to be diversified and it's going to be liquid. And what I mean by liquid is if you decide January of 2024, oh, I think I'm going to sell that because I'm going to buy a house and I need a down payment. You can do that. In venture capital, when you back a small plant-based company that is not yet on the public markets, once you give them that money, you're never going to see it again for you know, 8, 10, 12 years unless um, something goes really well and they sell, but most of them go out of business. You know, It's very risky, very, very mm. risky. So so this is what's nice about the public markets. It's less risky and it's liquid. You have access to that cash again, that capital again. So um, I thought I'm going to start the only plant-based innovation ETF because there isn't one and I want it and I want this family office in it and I want others to be in it. And like I was saying early on, I want the younger consumer who's really driving the growth, right? It's all Gen Z and millennials who are driving the growth of the plant-based sector. I want them, even if they don't have $100,000 or $50,000, and to do it right, you need like $50,000 20 times. You know, you need to invest. My God. Well, because you want to invest to diversify. You want to invest in at least 20 companies so you're not, you know, putting all your poker chips in one place. So you're talking about a lot of money. It'd be so much better if you just got a basket of stuff, of stocks on the stock market, and that diversification was already in Mm -hmm. that basket, like your grocery cart, like we were talking about before. So if you want to put $100 in or $1,000 in, it's already spread out amongst 40 companies. That's with the important. one purchase. So it makes it really one-stop shopping kind of, so to speak, and very easy and very diversified, less risky, and, and you can sell it whenever you want it. So so the conversation that I usually have is people say, well, what could be in your ETF, your basket? Because we only know of like Oatly and Beyond Meat. And of course, mm-hmm. um, that's not accurate. So if you look around the globe, so there's Norway and Israel and Hong Kong. There are companies working around the globe on this problem. Obviously, shifting the global food supply system is a global problem. So there's companies around the globe at any stage in the supply chain. So if you're a vertical farm that's looking to grow more plants to get more plants to people locally, that kind of company would be in our basket, our ETF. If you are an innovation and technology company working on precision fermentation and your whole business model is to license out that IP so that others can create consumer products with that IP that you license. You're in the basket. You're in the grocery cart, you know, of the ETF. If you're an ingredient company and you're working on like, hey, if we're going to have more plant-based products, then we need more options than just soy. Mm -hmm. We're going to need, you know, fava bean and quinoa. And, you know, so they're bringing novel proteins to the sector what about making the products taste good and smell good? So there's a company out of Switzerland called Givaudan, which only focuses on flavors and textures. And so they're working to make those plant-based products really delicious. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the line, you have Sure Oatly. You recognize that brand. But there's also like Vitasoy out of Hong Kong and um, Stakeholder Foods out of Israel. You know, So it's this global perspective in food and in materials. 
So if you are Elf Beauty products and you have committed to no animal oils and makeup, and yes, folks, there are animal oils and makeup. That means animal oils on your face. That's a whole different conversation. But, you know, if you are Elf or if you're Crocs shoe company and you're committed to no way, no how animal leather, that's awesome, right? Because ultimately we want sustainable food supply systems and sustainable material. We just want sustainable. We just want animals out of supply chains, of period. Mm-hmm. And that's if that's a shoe company, then then that's a shoe company. So this has either even further diversification because then you're not focused only in one sector of food. You're also food and materials. So this is how we come to about 40 companies. Sometimes it's 37. We're constantly managing uh, for the economic times we're in. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's 43 or 41 or 38. Or, um, so around 40 companies are in the ETF. Awesome. And I mean, this, I actually bought a few shares myself today. Oh, thank you. Um, oh, thank you. EB. So EB, yes, EB. If you have Robinhood, it's super simple. You can just look it up right on there and you can purchase, I think I bought about five or six shares. It was at about $16, I think, yes, today per share. Yes, right. So uh, being that there's so many ETFs to choose from, this is really the only one that is handpicked that is very focused on making sure there are no animal products in it. What do most ETFs invest in? Yes, I love this question. So twofold, it's not just that no animal products are in it because you could say, well, Visa, you know, the the credit card company, they, they probably don't have animal products either. It's that we're focused on those companies that are innovating to replace animals. So... You know, if you invest in Google or something, sure, there's no animal products, but you're not helping to change the situation, right? Ultimately, we want to change the food and material supply system. So we're looking for the innovators that are replacing, as well as those who don't have animal products, as well as those who are financially sound companies. <laughs> you got to be a, fun, you know, so we're looking at your revenue numbers, your um, price to sales ratio, your profitability numbers, your momentum score, all these financial characteristics, of course. So that's why all the research and screening that goes into it. Basically, when you look at other ETFs that are on the market, why should I not put all my money in S&P 500, for example? I love this question. In fact, if you go to our website, eatvetvetf.com, right at the top, you'll see a comparison with EatV and the S&P 500. And you'll see that the S&P 500 has a global, global temperature warming potential of 3.2 degrees Celsius. Now we've all heard of the Paris Accords and they really want us to be 1.5 or lower, but maybe in the interim they'll allow like 2.0, but anything above that and the planet's starting to not make it, right? It's starting to show those stress cracks of just unable to function at that kind of climate change. The regular, most popular, most like typical investment S&P 500 index has a global warming potential of 3.2 degrees Celsius. Oh my God. Our global warming potential, this is certified third-party ESG, um, ethos ESG, is 1.18. And that's the beauty of plant-based. We're just not making those emissions. As we all know, we've probably heard this before, animal agriculture adds 32% of the world's global methane emissions, methane being one of the most nefarious and powerful gases we're just by by avoiding the cow or the chicken or the pig, et cetera, by avoiding the animal middle, we're just not making those emissions. Mm-hmm. So that just naturally brings down our uh, carbon footprint and our 
environmental footprint. So 1.18 uh, degrees Celsius. So that's like one aspect there if you care about that. And then the S&P 500 is going to be unfocused in the sense that it's just the companies that um, are big and not the companies around the theme that you might find interesting. Now, uh, again, because we talked about in investing principles for people who are new to this, most portfolios would be diversified because they have an ETF. And then even from there, they're diversified by having many ETFs. Mm -hmm. So most likely people would have EATV and the S&P 500. The benefit there is they're getting exposure to two different kind of sectors because the S&P is not focused on these smaller to mid-sized companies. And they're not focused on food specifically. They're certainly not focused on the theme of replacing animals. So you'd get exposure here to both. And then um, you'd also bring down the carbon footprint of your portfolio because mm -hmm. we're so low, they're not so low. And so we bring that down. So when we actually say investing, this could be something, for example, that you put $20 a week away. And then at the end of the month, you buy you know, $80, you buy $100 of one uh, one EFT. So for example, this is just what I've started doing. So I have a Roth IRA set up and I have a traditional, just like on my Vanguard where I put into ETFs such as the S&P 500, I'll put in uh, $100 a month into all of them. And with the Roth IRA, this is a completely separate thing, guys. We can like talk about that if we have time, but it's definitely something that's great because it's tax-free money. It grows and then you take it out and it's not taxed, but that's something you don't want to touch till you're like 65. But with, for example, the S&P 500, if you can just put in $100 into something like EV, if you could put that in, over time when you are, I don't know, like in your 50s, 60s, you'll be able to see that growth, right? Because you said it's not risky. Well, all investing is, um, you know, you can buy a house and then the, the housing market tanks. Yeah. And so in, investing is not like stuffing it under your mattress. Although mm -hmm. I would argue that um, because of inflation, if you stuff it in your mattress, you're losing money because you're not taking advantage of the interest rates. So, um, you know, everything comes with some kind of conscionable action, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, you know, please be mindful that, um, yes, the world could implode tomorrow. The whole stock market could go away. I mean, no one, no oh one truly knows the future. I exaggerate. <laughs> but um, but the, the point that you make, which I think is such a great one, is if you do this every month, and I love that. You're looking at dollage cost averaging, which is saying, I'm not going to try to time the market. I'm not going to try to guess which is the best month. I'm going to do the same amount of money every month. And so I'm going to have an averaged out cost at the end of 12 months, at the end of a year mm -hmm. of what I've put into Eat V, let's say. And so that's a great way to not guess when's the right price or when's the right time or when's the right month. Just do a, a one twelfth every month. And then, you know, if you think you need money three months from now, well, probably, you know, just stick it in a money market or something that'll get you interest rates because three months is a short time frame. But if you are banking, and a lot of people are, that the global food supply system is going to transform itself over the next 10, 12, 15, eight years, if you can take that kind of horizon, and like, think of it this way. What if you had invested in semiconductors, those chips that go into computers, before computers mm -hmm. went really big, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has adopted semiconductors because they're in every computer and everyone around the world, no matter how emerging the country, everyone has a cell phone or a computer, period, regardless of their economic status. So 
they maybe don't have fast internet, but they have a phone or a computer. So that's the kind of mass adoption that we're talking about in this food systems transformation. So, you know, even if the mass adoption doesn't come for 15 years, the growth of those stocks are going to start to happen before right. that. So if you don't need it three, six, nine months from now, but you can say, hey, I'm taking a, an investment perspective. I'm not a day trader. I'm going to mm-hmm. invest it, put it away for later. That's when you really reap the benefits, I think, of the sector and of investing in general. It is a long-term thing. And yes. they always say, don't take out the money when it's low. Like You don't want to lose I, money. Yes. Just wait it out if you can. And it's one of those things where if you're like me or in your 20s, whatever excess money that you have, maybe instead of buying that coffee, that 5 $6 coffee in the morning, save that $5, it does add up, and oh then gosh. you can put that into an EFT. And I really love that you guys, it's it's the perfect description is it's like a basket because yeah. you do have all of these different companies in there. The mistakes that I think that I've made and that I'm making is that I'll invest in one singular company and then it just tanks. That's the beauty of being diversified, right? So if you have, if you're spread out across 35, 40, 45 companies, Mm -hmm. but you know it's the sector that you want, you know it's the value system that you want, then you don't have to bet on any one company because that's Mm -hmm. just a, you know, it can be close to a guess. Obviously, there's some data, but still it's close to a guess. So I want to get into the plant-based trends, the current mm. trends today, and talk mm. about this, what the stocks are looking like there. But what the hell happened with Beyond Meat and what the hell happened with Oatly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots to discuss there <laughs> in addition to the trends. And in addition, I'll say, if you have more questions and you might, like everyone listening on this podcast might be at different points of their investing journey. Some might have really elementary, and there's no elementary questions, but some might be right at the beginning and some might be like, oh, totally, I get this. Like I'm going on Fidelity today and I get it, you know, and I'm going to buy whatever I want on Vanguard or on Fidelity or Schwab or Robinhood and I totally got this. And other people are going to be like, ah, help. So hit me up anytime. I'm on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Alfano, come find me, hit me up anytime. And if you want to have more input than just me, I know of several vegan financial planners and they can several. So if you feel like even after talking to me, you don't want to go it alone. I know several vegan people who can advise you and work with you for a long-term plan. So I will definitely ask you for some of these people. And I think it's so important because I, you know, when you look at your retirement, like I look at my grandparents and the fact that, you know, they think God had social security, who knows if we're going to have social security at this point. And they, live off of that and, you know, whatever money that they were able to save. But I look at myself even like three years ago, oh, I'm buying this, I'm going out here, I'm buying a table at a club, like what the hell am I doing? And then I'm like, oh my God, I should really start putting this money away because you can't retire comfortably unless you have at least a million dollars. Yes, that is so true. And you got to start thinking about that retirement now in your mid-20s. I mean, that is the time, particularly if you want to retire at 55, not 65. You know, if you don't want to have to like keep working it like crazy because you didn't invest when you were younger. And it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot. That $5 that you save on the coffee, saving it five days, you know, a week, let's say, that's great money. That's, you know, $35 or $25 a week. That's $100 a month. Uh, You know, you're making your way towards investing. So, yeah. It's yeah. great. So let's get into the plant-based trends. Yeah. So okay. what's going yeah. on? <laughs> what, what the hell is up? Yeah. Okay. So, so much is going on. First of all, in case you haven't noticed, 2022 was an awful year. It was an awful year for everything. It was an awful year in the markets. 
It was an awful year for plant-based. It was an awful year for just a lot of people in general in life as they went back to work and COVID was maybe over. Was it not over? Can we ever decide? Will we ever know? I mean, it just... It's been a stressful year. So there are a couple things going on with plant-based. I'll start about start around that first. So COVID came, 2020 shot up. Everybody was so focused on their microbiome and their health and how to stay healthy that plant-based foods shot through the roof and everybody started making lots of product, had to get it out there because there was this incredible demand. But then people started going back to work at the end of 2021, but plant-based companies kept producing product. Meanwhile, people weren't buying as much at the grocery store because they were going to get lunch at the cafeteria, or they were going out with their friends to restaurants that were now open, or their kid who used to be on the couch because university college was closed, that, that child has now gone back to university and they're eating at the cafeteria. So they're not buying food for that extra mouth. So grocery store really shrunk, but for natural reasons, because they're eating outside again. So what is not reported, this is a big deal. There's a lot of bad reporting out there. What was not reported when the grocery store numbers started to shrink in the fresh section, which would be beyond an impossible, the frozen section was going up because people didn't want they didn't know when they were going to eat their food because again they might go out to dinner with friends so they didn't want the food to spoil so frozen was going up and restaurant sales were going up so we see that um there's a distributor called dot foods and they distribute uh, plant-based natural organic foods to grocery stores around the country their plant-based business is up 40 percent 2022 over 2021 because food service shot up through the roof, but no one's reporting that. So there's a big pushback from meat and dairy industry mm. that plant-based numbers are down. Well, they are down in the fresh department, but they're up not not as much as they're down in fresh. So it's not like a, a exact um, um, equal comparison. equal comparison. Yes, but it is up in frozen, and then it's really up in food service. So so mm. um, you know, and because look. A lot of people, you know, my partner included, he just said to me the other day, like, I finally read the Beyond Meat instructions. And now that I'm following the instructions, I like it. You know, he always liked it, but he's like, now I really see that they nailed it. And he had never been following the instructions. So it is a little bit different than a regular um, meat sausage or meat chicken patty or meat nugget or meat burger, whatever it's going to be. So, um, you know, why take that risk? Just let somebody in the restaurant cook it for you because they know mm-hmm. what they're doing. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons that consumer behavior shifted, but consumption didn't necessarily shift. So there's that. Okay. Then the markets tanked, which means nobody was investing. So that's really hard. If you're a plant-based company and the investment, you know, you're not getting as much capital inflow, much cash inflow into your company. Mm -hmm. So I just think it was hard economically period for everybody. And then the plant-based numbers about how much they were down were exaggerated and only focused on the part that was down, not all the other parts that were up. Uh, We have a report coming out from the Plant-Based Foods Association that's going to land in everybody's lap March 30th. Little spoiler alert. You're, you're not going to have awful numbers. Not, we heard know. it first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I can't say too, too much. But um, so there, you know, I think people are going to see that it's a much larger conversation than just that one section of the grocery store. Now, for Beyond Meat specifically, I think, um, you know, imagine it was 2019. Beyond Meat went IPO, the initial public offering. They went public. And 
we knew as the vegan community, like this is going to go through the roof. This, you know, people have been waiting for this product. The sector's growing. Nutritional education is growing. The consumer's smarter than ever before. Gen Z and millennials are pushing the um, needle for environmental uh, protection and plant-based does that so well. So we all knew it was going to go through the roof. But Wall Street analysts didn't, and they didn't predict it, and they didn't see it coming. And mm. so when Beyond Meat blew all those numbers away, I think a lot of people were embarrassed. You know, a lot of professionals who do this for a living, day in and day out, they didn't see this one. And so I feel like they're extremely hard on Ethan now. Now, that's not to say that that business can't get better and that, you know, you had this like blowout of 2020, and now we're all still reeling with supply chain issues and, um, you know, finding that sweet spot of the right amount of production for demand. And these things are always moving. So, you know, there's work to be done on, on making that business model more sound every day. But I also feel that there's a lot of kind of payback of maybe people want to feel vindicated and say, see, I told you it wasn't going to mm-hmm. work because they didn't call it early on mm. and they feel like they missed it. That's my own personal guess. Um, you know, there's there's other reasons as well. And there, that business model that, you know, they just had a great Beyond Meat, just had a great earnings call about mm-hmm. two weeks ago. So, um, you know, they're getting, it's not easy. It's just not an easy thing, you know, so that business model is getting better but every does quarter. earnings mean that then the numbers on the stock, the, the chart is going to go up? Like, it's so confusing to me. It's almost as if there's like a li- little wizard behind the curtain being like, oh, I'm going to put the stock at this number today. I'm going to put it at this number. Like, what actually impacts that? Yeah, so those earnings calls where Ethan Brown, CEO of uh, Beyond Meat and founder, he'll say like, we thought we were going to have these sales numbers and we missed it by 4% and we're, we don't have the sales numbers that we thought we did. Or he'll get up there and he'll say, our sales numbers are better than we thought. Mm. You know, so when he does those quarterly calls, earnings calls, and he tells all the analysts, I, I hit my numbers or I didn't hit my numbers. And then he also tells them the future as he sees it. I think we're going to be cash positive by the end of the year or whatever it is mm. by next quarter. Everyone gets excited and all the analysts say, hey, you know, great expectations for this Mm -hmm. company for the next quarter. That pushes up the stock price. I see. And what's helped me understand what it means buying a share is you're actually buying a part of the company. So I own, you know, a tiny little percentage of Beyond Meat. So it's like the better that that company does, the better that you'll do and the more money you'll make. Yes, and there's something really wonderful about feeling you own a piece of the future. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really wonderful. But yes, as you say, you own a piece of that company literally. Right. So what is your prediction of plant-based stocks over the next 5, 10, 15 years? Mm, okay. So I lean on Synthesis Capital Research here. Synthesis Capital uh, Research Department headed up by Catherine Tubb, who formerly was with RethinkX, who had done uh, a really detailed white paper about the future of animal ag. And she, Catherine, backed by Synthesis Capital, says you're going to have price parity in production methods around 2026, 2027. That means the manufacturing cost of making meat or making plant-based is going to be about the same. No, doesn't mean they'll be the same in grocery stores. People might decide that they want to be a high-end brand, and so they price themselves to be expensive on purpose. But that's a choice. The actual production is going to be around um, 
parity. And once you have price parity, you're going to have map, you know, more adoption. So they anticipate that the trend is really going to start creeping up at around 2026, 2027. And then at around 2032, it will have creeped up to the point of tipping point. So it's about at 10% of the market, which they expect to be in around 2032. So we're looking at under 10 years. And that's when it's like, there's no turning back. Things start to move really quickly. So, um, but you know, the investors like to be in before that moment because a lot of the growth happens Mm -hmm. before everyone else is caught on, I guess is what I'm saying. So from a consumer standpoint, it's really exciting to think like within 10 years, you're going to start to see that. And I actually think if you have any environmental disaster, that will will force the change to be much faster, which I'm sorry to say that I certainly don't want an environmental disaster, but we seem to have them all the time now. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there are many external factors that could make that go even faster. Like if governments started investing big time in infrastructure because they um, are worried about food insecurity. And the reason they're worried about food insecurity is because our current food supply system is so completely inefficient. That we why? Use. Tell me why. Yeah. So if you imagine that, um, just take a guess. You probably know this answer. But how many animals do you think are in factories right now? There's 8 billion people on the planet. How many animals in factories? Over 70 billion. 80 billion. 80 billion, so 10 times more animals in factories than people on earth. Well, now you got to feed those animals. So that means you better cut down trees. Well, wait a minute. Trees pull carbon from the air. We need that. Nope, no way. Got to cut down those trees, grow crops. These crops have fiber and protein. Are we giving that food to people? No, we're giving that food to animals. And they need land and water and time. Oh, hey, they need more food. Got to cut down more trees. Making more crops. Are we giving those foods with fiber and protein to people? No, we are still giving them to animals. That is wildly inefficient. That means all that food that could go to feeding people is feeding animals. And animals are awful calorie converters. So if you give a chicken seven to nine calories, you're going to get one calorie back. If you give a cow 25 to 35 calories, you're going to get one calorie back. So that means you're losing. These are awful ratios. So how are you going to feed a growing population going from 8 billion to 10 billion? But Mm -hmm. you're not getting more land. You're not getting more water. But you're going to have to cut down more trees. But we don't have more space. This isn't going to... The math does not work. So... um, you know, and business rewards efficiency. That's what business does really well. Mm-hmm. It takes a problem and it solves it at scale. So that's what we're doing here with the global food supply system, which is whether you are vegan or not vegan or flexitarian or whatever it is, you're going to get on board with this food system shift. And that might mean you're still eating meat, but you're eating it from cultivated meat. Right. You know, it just means it just means the way we produce meat doesn't mean everyone's going vegan. It just means the way we produce meat is going to shift and it will no longer include animals. Absolutely. And you see yeah. big ag that even wants to get on board with this. They mm-hmm. are buying plant-based companies left and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you say this. So people often say to me, but oh, we're seeing all this negative news about plant-based in the press. And then I have to go through like, yeah, but it's only the refrigerated aisle that they're talking about. But okay, even that I say it doesn't even matter because as powerful as the consumer is, and they are powerful. Oh, and by the way, they're still buying plant-based. It's just in the restaurants. But okay, even if the consumer were not totally on board, which they are because they want it for the environment, Gen Z and millennials, 
You have two other major stakeholders in addition to consumers. You have governments, which want to be able to feed people because the fastest way to get booted out of office is to not feed people. So you have governments concern about how they're going to feed people, and you have industry concern about this growing magnifying glass that is magnifying how sloppy these supply chains are, how risky these supply chains are. Talk about pandemic risk and um, not being able to feed people, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, where do 80 billion animals go to the bathroom? Right. Our water supply, ultimately, you know, so you you look at these external costs that these companies have on society as a whole. People have very little patience for paying to fix that problem and for putting up with bad water or all this deforestation or or that animal agriculture is a leading cause of climate change and that you will not simply flat out. You will not address climate change in the time that we need to do it if you don't address animal agriculture. Mm. So there's this pressure on industry to clean up their act. So they're not doing it for animals but they're doing it same with governments they're not doing it for animals but they're doing it and consumers they're doing it as well so all three stakeholders want the same thing at the same time even if it's for different reasons so that's a trend right that's just too much energy going in one direction for that not to happen do i know exactly when it will happen no but um with the advance of environmental issues it's in our near future well, in conjunction with the government subsidies, this needs to change as well. Where are the hell are our tax dollars going and why are they going to an industry that consistently bails out big ag mm-hmm. and bails out meat, dairy and eggs? I mean, you're looking at gallons of milk being dumped during a pandemic while there's people that are starving. Yes. It's so infuriating and so frustrating. And on top of it, you have food waste. And so I find it super interesting that you said before you were like, well, these plant-based companies are actually going to get products that are the same price or less than what meat, dairy, and eggs are. And that's with the government subsidies. And that's with subsidies, yeah. Because right. those business models are so inefficient. So right. it, it's, and, and when you think of all the, you know, a, avian bird flu that we have not been able to get a handle on, this is the same bird flu that we have in 2015. Oh I mean, so it's, we had all the signals. We didn't change any of our ways. Now we have another bird flu. It's already spread to one person. So- Ugh. You, you know, the, the United Nations top three reasons for the next pandemic. Did I already say this? If I did, you can, I've had, no. this is my third interview today. But wow. top three reasons for the next pandemic, all related to eating meat. So two are related to the intensification of factories. And one is related to biodiversity loss through trees and, um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, you think of how expensive that pandemic was, how disruptive it was to labor supplies, to food supplies. So you just think these businesses are you know, creating this risk and cost to society that we can no longer bear. No, exactly. And so we are going to see this shift. And thanks to people like you that are getting on mainstream media talking about this. And do you ever experience a pushback from some of these journalists or people that are interviewing you? Like, what is that like? Because I feel like constantly we have to know the facts, know the information to be able to convey our points effectively. It's like you really got to do your research because everybody's against you almost. Yes. Yes, I feel that most journalists don't feel that they know enough about the topic to engage with me. So they, they when I'm doing, let's say, Bloomberg TV, and it's a four-minute spot, they just ask me a couple questions and I get to talk about it. So that's great. Now, I have had some interviews with, let's say, Dina Shanker of Bloomberg. She was the one who wrote the article about plant-based being just a fad uh, that came out recently. She really pushed back on me saying Uh that these products weren't healthy. And I really went to bat saying that they are healthier. 
Obviously, nobody thinks Beyond Meets a Carrot. Pro- probably knew that when you picked up the box and scanned the barcode. So, um, but they're healthier. They don't induce trimethylene oxide, which is very bad for you. That, that um, is one of the leading precursors to heart disease. That comes from red meat. They don't uh, increase the risk of colorectal cancer. Obviously, you know, processed meats. And it's funny because the media has criticized plant-based meat, but meat, the meat industry is the original, the OG of processed meats, right? Bacon, delis, deli slices, sausages, the bologna, these things are processed meats and they're class one carcinogens, according to the World Health Organization. So um, she and I got into it a little bit. It's like, why are they comparing plant-based meats to carrots and broccoli? Why aren't they comparing it to animal flesh meat? That's the whole point. You don't eat a Beyond Burger because you want a salad. You want to eat a Beyond Meat because you want a burger. And so instead of reaching for the animal flesh burger, you reach for the Beyond Burger. It's really a simple matter of going to the grocery store, moving your hand from here to here. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's why, according to the Boston Consulting Group, when compared to investing in alternative energy, electric vehicles, alternative building materials, all considered green investments, that um, investing in plant-based and alternative proteins is three times to 40 times more impactful at lowering greenhouse Mm -hmm. gas emissions because it's so easy to do. How many people can rip off their roof and put on solar panels? It's a big deal. It's your house is under construction. You got to pay for it. Plant-based, you just move your fingers like three inches. Yeah. <laughs> you pick something else and that's the end of it. So mm-hmm. I think um, just egg is cheaper than a carton of eggs now anyway. Because of the bird flu. Yeah. And we don't seem to, you know, again, that cost of society because our tax dollars that are subsidizing chicken and then they're destroying all those chickens and then we have to pay the price of the eggs. I mean, you know, we bear the cost of these external dumping of what this industry does to our society. So not fair. It's a, so it's rigged. Fair. It's rigged. So um, I guess I want to just get into in the last section a little bit about you specifically. I want to talk about the benefits you've experienced after going vegan, how long you have been vegan. I think it's since 2015, if I remember correctly. I was watching the interview. 2016. Okay, amazing. And then, yeah, just some morning, nighttime routines, your favorite foods. I know you do a ton of recipes. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, gosh. Well, I'll tell you, when I first went vegan, um, you know, I was like, oh, I hope I drop a couple pounds. And I did. Woohoo. But Woo. the, the bigger thing was, you know, I told you at some point in my 20s, I was like, okay, this is what it means to be an adult. We do that, which was, we know is wrong, and we do it anyway. And when I didn't have to carry that burden of telling myself, well, I know it's the wrong thing to do, but that's what we do an enormous weight was lifted for me and I didn't expect that. So that was a huge bonus to not have to, when you live in alignment with your values, you just feel a whole heck of a lot lighter. Mm. So that was really like, wow, huge bonus and so empowering. Wasn't making excuses to myself or kind of lying to myself, all those things that disempower you, right? So felt very empowered to be like, I know what is right for me. Oh, babe. And that's what I am doing. So yeah. I was really happy about that. Um, uh, favorite recipes. Oh, my gosh. I love to cook. I just love to cook all the time. I love to cook for people. I love to entertain. So I, I change my recipes up all the time. My favorite challenge is to like open the refrigerator and say, OK, what's going to go bad and make something with whatever mm. is about to go bad. Obviously, always fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds and grains and, and, and plant-based meats and, you know, plant-based cheeses and stuff. So um, only in the plant-based realm. But I love to have that challenge of cooking. It really centers me and grounds me. I love to chop. So just give me an example of a breakfast, lunch, and dinner for you. Oh, well, my go-to breakfast, because, you know, I often don't have a lot of time. I do. I am working pretty hard. So I take tofu, raw tofu, so easy. 
um, any kind of package of tofu. And I cut it to about like a fifth of a slice of a package of tofu. And then I take half of a cup of raw oats. And then I take one tablespoon of hemp seeds. And I take a half a cup of berries, strawberries or raspberries, blueberries. And then I take a tablespoon of date syrup and I mix it all together. And that's my breakfast. Wow. <laughs> it's super good. Wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I've never thought about putting the tofu in there as well. Yeah, I know everybody says like, it's raw. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, go to town. I mean, the great thing about tofu is it's total blank slate. You mm. can make it savory. You could make it sweet. Just add whatever yeah. you want. So it's just a total blank slate. And lunch, I see your recipes online. You change it up from salads to wraps. I mean, the thing its the thing is, it's really endless. I always tell people, I'm like, if you have a favorite meal, just type in Google your favorite meal and then type the word vegan after it. And at least 10 recipes will come up. Yes, 100%. And what I didn't realize when I was eating meat and dairy was how limited my food choices were. Mm-hmm. So like I would have the same ham and cheese sandwich all the time. Like I didn't really branch out from things. Yeah. And then when I opened up the vegan world, I was like, who the heck has been keeping sweet potatoes for me? Eggplant, I'm so all about you. Um, mm-hmm. Sunchokes, like where you've been all my life. This kind of stuff. Artichokes, so simple to steam and just move the heck on, you know? Oh my I've God, like I've a- been having so much issues with artichokes. Ooh, issues, what do you mean? Like I've bought, I've tried buying artichokes before just because I thought they looked interested in the grocery store. I'm like, let me give this a try. Here and there, I'll really get crazy and like go for something like a rutabaga or something, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and this is only since going vegan, by the way. But I reached for the artichoke and I brought it home and I tried steaming it and it was just like, it was like a rubber heart. It was weird. Hmm. And steaming kept it rubbery hard. How was the taste? I don't, maybe. Are you supposed to take the shell of the outside off? Uh-uh. You're supposed no. to just eat the whole artichoke. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give this another try. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so or you bad. Can, like sometimes I even just boil them. Like if I can't find my steamer top or something, I just like, you know. Okay. F- yeah. I'm going to give it another go. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but yeah. yes. Because I, I like those little canned artichoke hearts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was very different to me than the actual yes. full artichoke. Yeah. The full artichoke. I mean, the beauty of the artichoke is all those leaves and then you get to eat the ends of the leaves and then okay. you get to the center and you've got that meat of the artichoke, which wow. is, oh, I love it. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I need to go get one. Okay. So <laughs> that'll be my, my lunch tomorrow. I'll let you know how it goes. But so for dinner, what are some of your favorite meals? Oh my gosh, I love to make lasagna. I love to make gyros. Mm-hmm. love to make plant-based gyros. It's so super simple. Just take seitan, which is another blank slate, right? All you're going to do is yep. season it to the way that you want it. So I season the seitan to taste like gyros. And then, you know, I put it on my pita with tomatoes and cucumbers. And um, I take like Kite Hill or some kind of non- non-animal dairy and um uh-huh. you know onions and uh spices and i'm i'm good to go with my euros what is a euros what is the euros it's it, it, it you know prior to the vegan stuff it's lamb it's lamb oh. that has a special seasoning that makes it taste lamby just like bacon has a kind of seasoning yeah. that makes it taste like bacon it's just it's it's a seasoning that's very sort of middle eastern spicy and that's the thing is we season the dead flesh with with plants anyway. So you can right. really get creative in there. So what are some – do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Do you wake up at like 5 a.m.? I feel like some CEOs and business people do that. I like to sleep in. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I do and I try to meditate. I have too much energy for meditation. It's my own flaw. So I, I make sure that I get out and I walk an hour a day or I jog. One Ooh. something. I have to like – 
be outside. It's, I have to get that in. And it has to be alone, not talking to anyone because I talk so much to people all day long. So mm-hmm. I'm, I make sure that every day I get out. And that's kind of my way to kind of process the day. Well, you are amazing. You have so much energy. I you do. have this like <laughs> brightness to you. I, um, I am so glad that we got the chance to meet and learn from you today. And mm-hmm. can you just share with everybody all the platforms they can find you, your two podcasts, and just really give us all the, the details on that. Okay, everybody go to the Plant-Based Business Hour wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe and be sure to listen and write a review if you're up to it. Of course, you got to write a review for this podcast as well on Jamie's Corner. Uh, but then once you're done writing a review for Jamie, you can write one for the Plant-Based Business Hour. Okay, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm on all the socials everywhere, Elizabeth Alfano, but you, I really spend my time on LinkedIn. So if you want to ask me questions or something, please come find me there and there's also the veg tech invest page but um, you can find me on my personal page that's great and then if you want to learn more about eat v you can go to eatv etf.com you can find information there you can also i have my own personal website elizabethalfano.com so it's a lot of a lot of websites but that should get you going totally and your instagram as well oh my instagram as well yes i'm not as good on instagram as i should be but i do post stuff Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you all of you for listening. Investing is a whole animal in itself, but it's so important. We got to set you up for your future. We want to be be able to give back to the environment, give back to animals. And if you don't have money to do it, well, then you can't. So So, without further ado, I'm at It's Jamie's Corner. And uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Guys, go check out her page. And until next time, bye. Thanks, everybody.